Welcome back to our Galatians Bible study. It seems really odd to be recording this podcast in my home rather than in sweet community with all of you. It's been just over two weeks since we met together to study Galatians 5, 1 through 12, to discuss what we were learning, to pray together, and to gather as sisters in Christ. But oh, how we have seen our lives change so drastically as the COVID-19 pandemic sweeps the globe. We've lost the joy of meeting together in person, but what a joy that we can continue to be in the Word, even engaging on our screens face-to-face through the gift of technology. Tonight, Friday, March 27th at midnight, we in Minnesota are ordered by our governor to, quote, shelter in place. But I want to encourage each of you to find your true shelter in the Lord. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Would you pray with me? Lord, we trust in you alone. You are our refuge, our fortress, our shelter. And your word is precious to us, and we desire that you open our eyes to see you as our almighty, trustworthy God. Spirit, come. Though we're not together in one location, would you bind our hearts together in love? Meet us in your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I hope you have your Bibles open to Galatians 5. 13 through 26. So let's dive in. I'm going to read Galatians 5, 13 through 26 for us. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. To establish our context, Remember that we've heard over and over from Paul that we are free. Paul compared the Old and the New Covenants 
the promise to Abraham is superior to the law. We are sons of God through faith in Christ alone, and we inherit those promises. We are free. We are not under the law when we are in Christ. Paul warned us not to fall into the false gospel of Jesus plus anything. He has spent the first four chapters of this letter warning about the dangers of legalism, of rule-keeping. His warning up to this point has been, don't lose your freedom. But is there another ditch to avoid? How does that freedom express itself? Are we free to do as we please? Anything goes? He's now going to address another danger in the church. Paul anticipated a question like this in his letter to the Romans. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So his warning in Galatians 5, 13 through 26 is, Don't abuse your freedom. Use it to serve in love. So the two errors to avoid are, number one, don't lose your freedom by seeking to be right with God by rule-keeping because salvation is not about doing more and trying harder. That only leads to slavery. It's circumcision or Christ, no combo platter. But then on the other hand, don't abuse your freedom and give in to the works of the flesh. Paul jolts the Galatians here with more irony. Up to this point in the letter, he has painted a picture of slavery that is bleak. Why would they want to be slaves again? But here he starts out with the radical idea that because they are not slaves to sin, they can be slaves to each other in love. So we're free, yet we're not free? How can this be? In Romans 6, Paul put it this way. You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." Obedience is not the same as faith, and it's not added to faith as a requirement for salvation. It is the fruit of faith. It's the evidence of faith. Remember, our performance can't be added to grace. What did Paul say in Galatians 5, 6? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. We bring nothing to God for salvation. The true gospel transforms us, makes us obedient from the heart. The gospel turns us from focusing on ourselves to service to others. This is the fruit of faith, not done for any merit. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives, and it is His power working in and through us, not by our own strength or our good resolutions. I'd like to walk through this passage with four points. Number one, our freedom. Number two, our fight. Number three, our flesh. And number four, God's 
fruit in our lives. So let me repeat that for you with the verses. Number one is our freedom. We're going to see this in verses 13 through 15. Number two is our fight. We see this in verses 16 through 18. Number three is our flesh. We see this in verses 19 through 21. And four, God's fruit in our lives, verses 22 through 24. So point number one, our freedom. Verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Ask yourself, what are we free from? We're free from the law, from sin, from our flesh, from slavery. The freedom that Christ purchased with his blood is not a license to live however we want in a self-centered way. Forgiveness is not a basis for self-indulgence. Freedom from sin is not freedom to sin but it's freedom to love. Spirit living means the righteousness of Christ in us. Freedom is an opportunity to serve in and through love. Verse 14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And ironically, that is the way that the love is fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf And he also demonstrated the kind of love that we should have for others. A sacrificial love. This kind of love is visible and measurable in its evidence of our faith in and our authentic love for God. This is not a box to check off our list. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? This is a love that keeps giving and keeps serving. And Paul repeats this in Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Notice how Paul introduced this passage and the next with the word brothers. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers are to restore in a spirit of gentleness. And in verse 10 of chapter 6, Paul says, Do good to everyone especially to those who are of the household of faith. So the question for each one of us is, are we going to express our freedom by loving, by gently restoring, by doing good, or by caving in to the selfishness of the flesh and its desires? Paul warns us here, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And he repeats a similar warning in 6 verse 1. He says, watch, lest you too be tempted. And another warning about the result if they think this way about their freedom. In verse 15, he says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And see how he repeats a similar warning again in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So stop for a point of application here. So we're called to freedom. What does that freedom look like today in the midst of a pandemic? What does through love serve one another look like to us in Minnesota today? 
As believers in Jesus, we are free from slavery to sin, we are free from eternal death, and as a result, we should be free from the fear of death. But there is a battle going on inside each of us, isn't there? Think about how fear affects us. It distorts our ability to reason. Fear clouds our judgment. Fear keeps us from seeing the world as God does. Fear steals our joy. Yes, we are still commanded to rejoice even in the midst of a crisis. Fear has a way of shining a light on our doubt, our lack of trust in God and His ability to control all things for our good and His glory. When we are simply commanded, don't be afraid, that's hard, isn't it? We need to know why we don't need to fear, how to battle that fear, and how to replace that fear with faith. And this brings us to point two our fight. We see this in verses 16 through 18, and we see it again repeated in verses 24 through 26. Paul says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What a beautiful promise! Walking by the Spirit is linked with not gratifying the desires of the flesh. Look how Paul writes about the desires again in verse 24. He says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How is it linked with the Spirit? Paul goes on again in verse 25. He says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Look back at verse 17 now. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We are in this fight for our whole lives. We keep fighting, but the spirit is in us, working and transforming us, empowering us to keep fighting. Our struggle is not abnormal. The battle is actually a sign that we do have the Spirit working in us, convicting us of our sin and leading us to repentance and forgiveness. There is hope for the fight. And I think there's three reasons we can see here. Number one, because of the Spirit's help. Verse 16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Reason number two, the battle is real and it's hard, but we have the Spirit to keep us from doing the things that we want to do. Reason number three, because in verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. How does this fight look in daily practical life? On a daily basis, we are battling those desires of the flesh, those inward sinful desires and thoughts. We could pick one that might erupt into one of the works of the flesh in Paul's list. Let's think about our current crisis situation. Perhaps our desire for comfort and preparation lead us to panic buying or hoarding of essential items. Can our desire for safety be idolatry? Might we envy those in a better position? 
How do we fight against anxiety and fear? Here's an analogy from John Piper's book, Future Grace, to help us understand this battle. He said, suppose you're in a car race and your enemy, who doesn't want you to finish the race, throws mud on your windshield. The fact that you temporarily lose sight of your goal and start to swerve does not mean that you are going to quit the race. And it certainly doesn't mean that you are on the wrong racetrack. Otherwise, the enemy wouldn't bother you at all. What it means is that you should turn on your windshield wipers and use your windshield washer. When anxiety strikes and blurs our vision of God's glory and the greatness of the future that he plans for us, this does not mean that we are faithless or that we will not make it to heaven. It means our faith is being attacked. At first blow, our belief in God's promises may sputter and swerve, but whether we stay on track and make it to the finish line depends on whether, by grace, we set in motion a process of resistance, whether we fight back against the unbelief of anxiety. Will we turn on the windshield wipers and will we use our windshield washer? The windshield wipers are the promises of God that clear away the mud of unbelief. And the windshield washer fluid is the help of the Holy Spirit. The battle to be freed from sin, as we have seen, is by the Spirit and by faith in the truth. The work of the Spirit and the word of the truth. These are the great faith builders. Without the softening work of the Holy Spirit, the wipers of the word just scrape over the blinding clumps of unbelief. Both are necessary, the Spirit and the Word. We read the promises of God and we pray for the help of His Spirit. And as the windshield clears so that we can see the welfare that God plans for us, our faith grows stronger and the swerving anxiety smooths out. So, We have the Spirit living in us. We walk in the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. And we plead for the Spirit's help in fighting the battle. We also need the Word, God's promises, to fight this battle against fear. So go to the Bible for promises related to fear that encourage us not to be afraid. Spend time in the Word meditating on these promises. Like Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Or Psalm 56, 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Or Psalm 94, 19. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Or John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Or how about Philippians 5, verses 5 through 7? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Or 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The opposite of fear is power, love, and self-control. Knowing God is at work for good, even in COVID, drives out fear and pushes us to serve in love for the good of others. So here's a challenge for you. Keep looking for other Bible passages that tell you not to fear and look at what God replaces it with. As you do this, confidence and trust in the Lord begin to replace fear. The peace of Jesus will well up in our hearts and we will have peace when the world all around us is troubled. It may even overflow in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord for his gifts of kindness and grace to us in this season. Sisters, we do not need to let fear obscure our vision of God in these days. The Spirit is at work in us to show the world what peace and love he brings to those who seek him and trust in Jesus. Indeed, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. Now in the next section, Paul contrasts our flesh with the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. In verses 19 through 21, this is point three, our flesh. These works of the flesh, Paul says, are obvious. He lists various sexual sins, refusal to worship God, social sins, sins of revelry. And then we come to a warning in verse 21. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 6, following a list of sins that were similar, Paul wrote, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This list describes our past. Yet we acknowledge that we are still fighting the flesh, fighting with the Spirit's power in us. This warning is really serious. It's a central point that Paul is making here. If these are ongoing, persistent, unrepentant sin in our lives, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. We've heard this language of inheritance before in Galatians. What is our inheritance? Paul says in Galatians 3.14, he says that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And in verse 18 of chapter 3, he said, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, he says, In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what do we do about the works of the flesh that threaten our inheritance? Paul says, we crucify those works of the flesh. We keep fighting with the Spirit's power in us. An old preacher wrote these words. An old preacher wrote these words. Run, John, and work, the law commands, yet finds me neither feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and lends me wings. So we've seen the list. Paul describes our past, and the next list describes our present with the Spirit living in us. Point number four, God's fruit in us. Verses 22 and 23. Notice that these are fruit, not fruits. It's not a checklist of good works, but it's a work of the Spirit in our hearts by grace, growing, budding, blossoming supernaturally in our lives. Faith in our lives results in fruit. I think we can take some lessons from the way fruit is cultivated. We know that good soil is needed. Tim Keller said that growth is gradual, inevitable, internal, and symmetrical. And as I was thinking about this, I thought about the fact that if we were to tie real apples or even fake apples onto an apple tree, that doesn't make the tree alive. Apples don't give life, but apples are evidence that the apple tree is truly alive and healthy. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but I just want you to notice that the first three, love, joy, and peace, are all a result of the gospel in our life. They're overflowing in our life from the saving grace of Christ in us. We have his love, his joy, his peace, all because of Jesus' saving work in us. And then those lead to the sweet ways that we then interact with others around us. We interact with patience and kindness and goodness. As the fruit of the Spirit ripens, our radical transformation manifests in things like faithfulness and gentleness and self-control as we become more and more like Jesus. And Paul says there's no law against these things. Instead, this fulfills the law as Christ fulfilled the law and Christ lives in us. As the Spirit works powerfully in and through us, when we are pressed by stress, when we're pressed to our limit, when the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is squeezed, what comes out is sweet spiritual life and you might call it juice, further showing what is actually in our hearts because of Jesus, because of the Spirit. When you are pressed, what flows out of you? This is what Charles Spurgeon said of John Bunyan, 
the author of Pilgrim's Progress. Quote, Read anything of his and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read till his very soul was saturated with scripture, and though his writings are charmingly full of poetry, yet he cannot give us his Pilgrim's Progress, that sweetest of all prose poems, without continually making us feel and say, Why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. His blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, for his very soul is full of the word of God. I commend his example to you, beloved. End quote. When you are pricked, what comes out of you? So again, we need to keep fighting against our flesh, don't we? Paul ends this passage in verses 24 through 26, talking again about our fight, this fight of flesh versus the spirit. He says we need to keep in step with the spirit. Look at the way the flesh shows up in our conceit. This is not how we are to relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The way believers live in the Spirit is with an emphasis on community and caring, loving one another, not devouring. This carries over to our next passage, Galatians 6, 1-10. Remember back in verse 16, Paul said, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is a command, an imperative. This is what we must do. We must walk by the Spirit. Now in verse 24, Paul says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is indicative. This is telling us what God has done for us and is true of us when we belong to Jesus when we have been crucified with him. Puritan John Owen said, Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Jesus said that we are to take up our cross daily and follow him. John Stott put it this way, He said, we must not only take up our cross and walk with it, but actually see that the execution takes place. Because we are crucified with Christ and have crucified the flesh, we keep crucifying those fleshly desires, walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. We are free from sin and death. We are free to love fighting our flesh in the power of the Spirit, and walking, living, being led by the Spirit. This means we are continually directed by and influenced by the Spirit in our lives. I'd like to close by reading the words of a song that most of you might know. It's called, Yet Not I, But Christ in Me. What a gift of grace is Christ my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, and freedom. My freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold. My only hope is Jesus. 
for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine. I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side the Savior he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. No fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing, I am free. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know He will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold. My only hope is Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Oh, Father, we hold only to Jesus. Our only hope is in you, Jesus, and what you have done for us. Thank you that you, you are our righteousness. You have bought our freedom at such a great price. Because of your freedom, We are free not to sin, but we are free to love, to love our families, to love our friends, to love our neighbors, to love sacrificially in this time of crisis. Lord, I pray that you would replace our fear with faith, that you would enable us to continue serving in love because of the Spirit and the Spirit's power working in us. Lord, would you help us to continue fighting our flesh, fighting our fear in the power of the Spirit. Help us to continue walking, living, and being led by the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.